0: Yeah, I do think this is our most important topic. We're going to talk about faith and how we hope our children have faith. Um, and I don't find this an easy topic because I'll just be honest. I don't feel like I've got all the answers on this one. Um, I'm going to share what I have. If something I say doesn't make sense, you are welcome to throw it out. Um, I have specifically prayed that God not let you hear anything that is not But I want to start with you. You are here this morning. What happened in your family that you felt built safe for you? It can be very general, it can be very specific. I know some of your families none of my life, but what do you think happened in your family that Encouraged
1: your faith. Yes. You showed up every time he was You showed up every time you <laughs> was yeah. What else? I think one thing that uh, my family was not uh, afraid to talk about it outside of the church. My grandfather shared with me uh, his faith story. At his house, he, my father, each did the same thing. So there were things that we did outside of the home, outside of church, where the faith, uh, the faith story was told okay. about how okay. they came to faith, okay. and their family's journey. So understanding their journey, that okay. they were helping me with my journey. Yes. Yes. Like yes. The stories yes. were told.
0: So the stories were told and. <coughs> We talked about that raising children was kind of like a years long years long conversation. I think that's especially true. Okay,
2: good. What else? I learned about it not just from my parents, but from <coughs> elders' wives and from you know people in the community of the church. Yes. Sometimes you hear it better through someone else who's
0: not. Oh, yes. And especially when your children get to a certain age. And they will. I I mean, the reality of it is they're going to get to the age where they think you know nothing. And you just have to get through that. Uh, If if you and they live long enough, they will come to value your wisdom. But there's a few years there where they don't. And I think those are particularly critical years to have other people speak. And somebody else can speak in a way that you can hear differently from your own family. What else? How did you know it was important to your parents? How did you know that faith was important? Sorry?
1: We would stop all other activities to acknowledge her.
0: So we would stop all, all, other,
1: activities? all other activities at certain points to acknowledge her. To acknowledge oh, tell me a
0: little more
1: about that. Uh, well, I mean, it, it could be as simple as you know, we would have a family meal, you know, uh-huh. and the table would all be set, everything would be ready to go, or stop everything. Uh, we're we're going kids, right? okay. It could be something as simple as that. To, to other times like around the holidays, uh, there would be moments where we would just pause as a family. As a, as a family yes, yes. You could feel the tone shift. You could feel the kind of the energy shift. Okay. Room, that's where we talk about.
0: Okay.
1: And by that we talk about uh, Jesus being born at okay. Christmas or something. Like that. Okay. Okay. It had, a it. Oh, I like that See, it had a different weight to it.
0: Oh, I like that term. Everybody here who's it had a different weight to it. When his family talked about things relating to faith.
2: Okay, uh, yes. There was a lot of dysfunction in our family growing up, um, and one of the consistent things that we did was go to church, and um, and even when we even when we couldn't go to the Sunday night worship because that was part of our. Church family at the time, we would have devotions at home, and I remember my dad specifically telling us quite a few times about his own conversion story because it was as an adult. Yes. He was not raised in a Christian family, and um, that was pretty significant too. It, it was a little hard to reconcile because of because of the, the time yes. Thing, didn't yes yes it? yes. But um, my mom's parents <coughs> and my grandparents. I think modeled a lot for us, because they were doers, their faith led to doing, and so we just saw them serving people all the time. Even when we would visit, you know, we would go along with their service. so I I feel like those were our two main images.
0: So, for just a moment, let's be negative. Were there any aspects of your growing up experiences That were problematic to you in terms of developing faith? Yes. There's a little bit of the legalism. Oh, no.
2: Because we showed up for everything. It needed to be a certain way for it to be good.
0: And if it didn't fill out these check marks, then it didn't count. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I I, I hear that. (laughs) I, I, I do hear that. Yes. Yes. Oh, there's plenty. We're just getting started. You
1: know, I was going to say, too, But one of the things that really was impactful for my family was that uh, the people from the church, the missions committees, and missionaries were always invited over to our house. And okay. So that showed an importance to my family. And, and just the interaction with other people besides my parents uh, enhanced faith because then I got to know them. I got to talk with them. So people... There
0: was a, Real
1: intentional exposure. Yeah. yeah. So that was,
0: that was very fulfilling for Yes. Kids, you know. Okay. I want to just let you kind of relax for a minute. And I intentionally did not bring these for you to look at. I will send them to you, but I want you to just hear them. Um, several of these are passages from the Old Testament, but I think they're very relevant. I think they speak very intentionally to us as parents. This one from Deuteronomy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I think I could read that. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk and when you're driving in the car. I found car um, to be a wonderful opportunity to have discussions. You've got a captive audience. They can't get mad and walk out. They're there to hear you. From Psalms, we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which He commanded our forefathers to teach their children so that the next generation will know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget His deeds but would keep His commands. Um, This is a model for us. Clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ from Romans. I no longer live but Christ lives in me from Galatians. And we who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness and your attitude should be one of the same, excuse, excuse me, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Um. am sorry. are right in front of me. One more that I think is important. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. Okay, I think that we are to constantly talk to our children. That it is to be pervasive. In fact, I loved what several of you said. Rachel says, we went every time the doors were open. It was an integral part of family life. This wasn't something that we did occasionally that we checked off. It was something very much a part of that. But I think we have to more than walk the walk, and I do think we have to walk it. I think the kids are kind of a constant video camera. And I'm going to be really honest. There are times when I would have liked to have taken their video camera and deleted some things. Some things that I wasn't very proud of, that I would have liked to have a do-over on. But I think they're going to see it. And I think we can talk all day. And if it's not real, (laughs) we are just wasting our breath. On the other hand, I do think it's equally important not just to do, but to talk about why we do. I could be really wrong about this. I have struggled because I know families, even in our extended family have this, where there's great faith in the parents. And some of the children have developed great faith and some have not, some have thrown it all out. And that's frankly been a great grief. I don't have all the answers to that. Um, But I do think it important to talk about why we do things. And as much as I'd like to rerun that video camera sometimes, I also think that is a teaching moment that I need to embrace. That when I do something that I'm not proud of, when I do something wrong, that is a chance for me to teach my children about being accountable and acknowledging and asking forgiveness and being forgiven. Okay? So I'm not going to tell you to go mess up so you can do those kinds of things, but I'm pretty sure it's going to happen. And when you do there is something to be brought good from that um, I also think and this is Gail speaking I can't give you chapter and verse on this but I also for myself decided that it was okay to say I don't know I have a friend that was visiting with her very bright granddaughter recently child's probably 8 or 9 years old and she wants to know why they had to put the blood of a lamb. Why did a uh, on the doorpost in Egypt, and and why did that lamb have to die so that the blood could be on the doorpost? And I don't necessarily know the answer to that. I sure don't know why someone as wonderful as Catherine Broadway has to has to fight an awful disease. I don't have the answer to that. And. I think it's okay to say to a child, I don't know. I don't get this. I don't know why God did it this way. I don't know why God hasn't said yes to a prayer that many of us are crying. Because the reality of it is your kid's going to be there someday. And I think it's a little disconcerting to think that there's this nice package of perfect belief that mom and dad had and when I get to there, I'm. I, that's not. That's not where I am. I think we help our children wrestle by being comfortable saying, "I don't know." One more verse. We are therefore Christ ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. I know you're tired of hearing that one, but it is so critical to this relationship, and you're going to be the one that. First and most often, tells your child about God's love. Like. You're going to tell them when you're rocking them as a newborn, and you sing to them, and you're going to tell them all of their lives. And that's a privilege to be Christ ambassador to your children. Okay. The most important thing in keeping this, the most important thing, is that we do keep it. The most important thing. So. If building faith is really the most important thing that I'm doing in my family, it's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of energy. It's going to be a priority. It's going to be something that I'm thinking about, that I'm valuing. Does that make sense? I I want to be careful here, but I... In our family, we don't, I can say this because Chris is not here, the Shrigglies don't have an athletic bone in their body. Now, Amy played basketball, some of them ran track, but we don't have that gift. So I can be very condemning of those who put way too much emphasis on athletics. We are nerds, and so we put, well we are, and so we put too much emphasis on grades in school and doing well academically. But if faith is really more important to me, am I thinking about that and how my children are growing in faith and what experiences they need? Am I doing that as well as I'm doing it for their academic I And mean, I think that, for me, is kind of the bottom line. What really is most important. And do my children perceive that faith and being faithful is in the big picture more important to me than if they graduate with honors? And let me be honest, is it really more important to me? Because if it isn't, they're going to know it. Okay. Um, Just as in parenting styles, it's easy to overcorrect. So if there are aspects of faith, and many of them, ha- most of us, have some of these that we were taught that we don't want to pass on. I think there's a tendency to overcorrect. Now, I am an, ent- I'm, I'm older than most of your parents. Okay, so I'm more than a generation, but my generation. Let me speak about. I grew up not in a family, but in a church that was very, very legalistic. It was very rule-oriented. There was very little said about grace. There was a lot said about judgment. There were a lot of really good people. I'm not negating that. And I'm grateful for some of the things that I learned. But I think many from my generation kind of threw out anything that spoke of God asking us to do anything. We were done with all those restrictions and all those rules and all that arbitrary, judgmental restrictiveness. And mm-hmm. and in the process, I think we threw out some things that were pretty important. So all I'm saying to you is if you've got some things to throw out, look at them really carefully. You probably really may have some things to throw out. Just be sure that what you're throwing out is not critical Peace of okay? Okay. Another one that I want to share with you is an observation from Kendra Smiley, and it's a book called Be the Parent. I really have found this intriguing, and I think it's true. She talks about a distinction between convenient and committed believers, And that convenient believers are going to go to church when it's convenient. And they're going to have the prayer before a meal when it's convenient. And they're going to talk about a Bible story when it's convenient. Okay? And so their children become convenient believers. They just don't find it convenient quite as often. And so they, in fact, don't really have a real commitment to faith and to faith-building activities, okay? Does that resound? Okay. All right, let me give you oh, a, an interesting study about church attendance. This relates to what Rachel said. If both parents go to church... Seventy-two percent of their adult children go. If, if, if just, the, I think this is interesting and kind of sad, if only the father goes, 55%. If only mother goes, it's quite low. I'm not sure why. Perhaps we think if father doesn't go, that somehow this is not as important. I don't know. And again, this study is happened a while ago. I think it might be very different now. But I am saying today as I think your role in the spiritual development of your children is very, very critical. Okay, let me give you some specifics. I would love for you to love scripture and your children to know that and for your children to know that Bible knowledge is valued in your family. Um, I would love for you to tell your story of faith to your children often. Now, we've specifically referenced stories of conversion, and Greg referenced stories of parents coming to faith. But I think our story of faith is not just a conversion story. I think our story of faith is daily. It's how I'm struggling with Catherine's illness. That's not appropriate for me to talk about to my six-year-old grandson. But it is appropriate for me to talk to my 18-year-old grandsons about that. That is part of our story of faith. Um, I like to see parents use everyday examples from Scripture in their conversation. Oh, you're having a David and Goliath moment, aren't you? You're scared of this. And this is intimidating. And you're having to be really brave. So that what we read about is real. Is real. I would like for Bible study to be a time that's enjoyed and treasured by the children. I feel like i got to be true on this one. I never had as much luck with family devotionals as I wanted to. We did it sometimes we did better in the summertime than we did during the school year. I just, we just couldn't, we just didn't, that's a better way to say it. Couldn't is not, not appropriate. We didn't commit to that as much as I would like to. I do think it's um, important. I did do this. Pray with and for your child. Um, And as parents, I would, we've referenced this already, stand back and look at your child's spiritual development just as you would development in the other areas. Okay. I can't guarantee that your child will be a child of, an adult of faith, but I will tell you that we played the odds, and I like the results. I think you increase the odds by giving them a strong church family, and several of you mentioned that. I would consider prayerfully excessive church participation. I'm not trying to guilt anybody. Um, I'm preaching to the choir. You got yourself up and your children up, and you got here this morning to Sunday school. So, all I really want to do is affirm it to you. But I really do think being a significant part of of a church family was a critical piece for my children. Otter Creek was much, much smaller when our children were growing up. And my oldest daughter, who is extremely petite, and very, very quiet and shy by nature, a little less so now than she was when she was growing up, but very even now, said something to me that I just treasured. It was when she was graduating from high school, and she said, you know, I always felt I mattered to And we're big now and we're going to have to work hard at that. But I want each child that lives in this to feel that they matter. But they're not going to feel that if they're not kind of a part of it. I have so loved what I have seen from the Davids, David Knox and David Rubio with our teenagers, where that they work so <coughs> hard at including them, letting them be a part and, uh, in many ways, in their covenant groups, in their, bat, in their uh, church league ball teams, in their classes at camp, it is so intentional to try to help that child find a place and find other mentors um, so that they, they do feel that it matters. I would encourage you to help your child find a peer group that encourages spiritual growth. Um, and again, for many of our children, that comes from church. From some it comes from the neighborhood, from some from school. But for a great many of our children, it comes from their church, finding that group. Um, I particularly, with one of my children's friends, felt great comfort. I never thought my children were beyond making bad choices. And I will be honest, I would encourage you, don't ever think your kids can't make bad choices because my experience is that most of us did and most of them will at some point. But I was Particularly pleased with one child set of friends because I felt fairly confident if she made some very bad choices, she would have two or three of those friends in her face. And nothing helps more than peer pressure in a positive way. So do all that you can to build and extend relationships within your church family. And I'm going to put in a plug. Um, again, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty about anything. I have drugged my children to Wednesday night church on a few times when I should not have. I'll own that. But that is a smaller group, and people know each other, and there's some kind of bonding that I think happens then that is different from other times. And again, I, I'll just plug that for what it's worth. Questions, comments? Okay.
1: Dale, I, I sure. Will you say more about how you think we can help our kids matter out of being such a big church? I mean, that, you mentioned Wednesday. I some- okay, I think I think
0: frankly we and, and I would I'm a big advocate of care um if you're not in one out and they're hard and they're sometimes mm-hmm. messy. Um, but I think that's that smaller group. Um, I, I just, I, and I think we have some obligation in that work. That when I see other, I love, I teach kindergarten, so, you know, they're just so, there's, there's so easily. And I love it when a child comes up to get a mm-hmm. home. But I think it's my responsibility also to be looking out for that child and catch his eye and waves. Or high school going, or whatever it is, I, I don't, I just think as a, I think that's a corporate responsibility that we all have for each other's kids. That doesn't answer your question, really, but I, I, I do think, um, I have seen some really, really wonderful things with, with, we call them life groups, I'm sorry, we used to call them care groups, that's a slip of a lot of with life groups, where there's that group um, that smaller group of families. I think there's some other world values, especially um, we were in a, an interesting life group. One had one child, one had five children, and one couple had no children. And we, had, we did that way before there was an official life group. We just It, it kind of evolved. But it was very helpful, I think, for all of us to see different parenting styles, for our children to see different parenting styles. They might not like the way I did things all the time, but they kind of realized they might not have liked the way anybody in the group parent did all the time. And maybe I might have been the lesser of the evils. Um, I, I just think that's really healthy. I think that's also a place where you can talk about, you know, you're kind of all at that stage of life. And you're all going to do pre-adolescence together. You're all going to do adolescence together. And, and there's something really, really helpful um, about that. I, I felt like there was some people that my children, if they were really, really put out at me, that there were some people that they might choose to go to. Um, That is how our uh, Sunday School curriculum is designed right now. That's the reason we have small groups. Even your very young children, starting with kindergarten, have a small group leader that often moves up with them for a couple of years. The idea is we're trying to develop some Um, intentional relationships between children and someone other than just their family. Um, Another point that I want to make, and this one's hard. You can't make, you can't give your child faith. You can't make them believe. You, You can help them want to develop faith. But you can't force this one. And as much as I'm trying to promote your being very, very proactive about it, I think you want to be cautious, especially as they get older, about what you demand that they believe. This is Gail speaking. Okay, I may be wrong. I grew up when what was accepted in faith had very narrow boundaries. Fortunately, in my family of origin, the boundaries were not quite so narrow. But I believe sometimes we have made faith this package deal and you've got to believe in this and you've got to believe in this and you've got to believe in that and this and this and this. And if you can't buy that whole package, you can't believe. I think that package... For me, that package is small. I want my children to believe that God is God of the universe and that is in charge. And I want them to believe that his son, Jesus, came and died for us and loves us and provides grace for us. Now, there are a lot of other things I'd like for them to believe, and I'm going to actively teach some of that. But at the end of the day, that's where I want them to end up. And I will tell you, my adult children all believe some things that I don't believe in. Things that I didn't teach them that I just assumed they didn't believe. But the thing that I most want them to believe, I believe they do believe. And I sure don't want to muddy the waters. Ruth Rucker, I'm so sorry you all did not know her. She, (coughs) She was just amazing in her Kind of folksy wisdom, but she talked about that um, when she and John got married. That there were a lot of things that her mother had taught her that she thought made sense that she was going to do in her family whatever. But there were some things, yeah, you know, she just she trashed them. She wouldn't do that. And she said when her oldest daughter got married, she thought I couldn't think of a thing I had taught her that she would should should trash. <laughs> well, that's that's where you're going to be. So I think we want to be really sure that our kids know what is the most important thing. Okay? Um, Comments or questions? Okay, one more thing I want to, just for your information, there is a a really interesting, this is not scripture, this is secular, um, but Kohlberg has studied stages of moral development and I, 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 you, if you're interested in this, Google it. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I want you to know that children move through different understandings, and this is very normal. And Kohlberg would say that um, he has like six stages. He would say that a fairly small percentage of the universal population ever gets to the sixth stage, that most of them are are much At much lower stages but for instance for the younger child even even a seven or eight-year-old much and very much a four or five-year-old much about what is right or wrong is based on consequences not intentions so if you ask a four-year old is it worse to accidentally break three cups or break one cup on purpose he will tell you that the one cup on purpose, I'm sorry, he will tell you that the three cups at accidental is a more serious offense because there were three cups broken. They don't compute intention very well at that point, okay? They tend to focus on one particular piece. In fact, there's some classic examples of this in telling Bible story. So, Um, I just recently told uh, Moses in the burning bush so some kids get so caught up in the fire this fire, this fire on this bush and they don't really get that this is about God speaking to Moses and God's plan to save his people you see what I'm saying? just don't get frustrated with this this is normal, that's the reason we keep telling the stories because a child at five hears it very differently than a child at 10, or even a child at 15, or an adult, okay? Um, Another thing that I think you see most progressively is their understanding of fairness. Now, kids develop some sense of fairness pretty early, but it is fairness without any mercy, except for themselves, okay? (laughs) And so they don't want any mercy for brother or sister but they expect abundant mercy for themselves. There's nothing wrong with your child when he's there. This is a progression. This is an ongoing conversation. And let's be honest, don't we all know some adults that want fairness fairness and mercy for themselves and no mercy for anybody else? I mean, some people don't get beyond that. Um, There is considerable research that says that families that talk to their children about these kinds of things, what is fair, what is generous, what is merciful, that families that talk to them, those children develop these understandings at a much earlier and more in-depth way. All I'm saying to you is that it's worth it. Your effort will be rewarded in the understanding of your children. Other questions. I'm sorry, I'm not as well organized. I'm missing a page that I'm looking for. Ah, here we go. The good news is that God redeems inferior, inadequate examples as they are offered in sincere sacrifice to him. Thank God we are not in the parenting business alone. I have cried, I have prayed, I have walked to get rid of my frustrations because I didn't know what to do with a particular situation with my children. They don't come with, you know, have heard them, they don't come with a book of manual instruction. I've had voices speak, people I respect said, say, this is what you need to do. Somebody else says, no, you need to do this. I don't have a formula for you. I do believe that God redeems a great deal of inadequacy. believe he did for me. I think I'm not unique. I think he will for you. And I think that it is in that seeking him that you you will grow. I think it was there that I grew. I I will tell you to run from somebody that's got all the answers. Because nobody does. Somebody's too sure listen critically. On the other hand, I got great help and wisdom from some parents um, of other children. I particularly found it comforting. I had a friend, a good friend, whose children were just a little older than mine. And when Mm -hmm. I was so ready to pull hair, she would say things like, oh yeah, yeah and yeah, we went through that. Yeah, it came to pass is a wonderful scripture because it was so encouraging to me to know we weren't gonna stay at a certain place forever. Um often when I taught these parenting classes I had invited some of our elders, and I'm not doing it this I night. Mean, um, seems like it's been hard to get everything in. Um, just to come and talk about their parenting experiences. And I have two very, very um, dear memories from that. One of them was Carrie Patterson, and the question that the group asked him is, what did you do, something that you did with your children related to spiritual growth, that you're really glad that you did? And he talked about when they lived um, in the Washington, D.C. area and where they lived and where they went to church was, I think, a full 45-minute, maybe hour drive. And he said, I spent a lot of time on the road driving my boys to youth events. I mean, he said, an hour there, maybe I'd just hang out there for a couple of hours or I'd drive home and wait two hours and I'd drive back another hour. He said, but it was worth it, both because of what they got out of it, and being a part of that group, and what I got out of it, driving back and forth with my kids. I think I've already told you this summer, the spring, that I was so put out that my children were playing softball and baseball in two different places in my Husband had the audacity to agree to teach two night labs and was unavailable to help, and I really was kind of been out of shape about it. I'm not proud of that, but my sweet friend Trisha Simpson told me, "Gail, it's your van ministry," and it really did it changed my attitude. And I thought, okay, we're gonna all, we're gonna beat be junk food a lot, but we are all in this van, and we're gonna <laughs> talk about it. And there are an enormous amount of things that happen. One of my favorite memories was. Um, A softball memory and I loved the coach that the girls had and he was playing another team and probably what the coach on that team did was not against the rules but it was clearly against the spirit of the game with 10 year old girls and our coach was mad and I didn't see him do anything that I thought was inappropriate he didn't curse anybody out or anything but he was clearly mad and the intervening week when we were ready to have the next game, he called every family and asked if we would come 15 minutes early and he asked us to sit on the bleachers and every parent and child. And he said, I did not behave the way that I intend to behave. I am embarrassed and I apologize. And oh my goodness, you could have heard a pin drop. Those little girls are looking at me. And I thought, we talked about that for weeks. That example of an adult owning and not the best behavior. He was, he was very much of a believer. And and that was who he was. And his words were just, I did not behave the way I believe a believer behaves. Those are powerful moments to talk about. The other memory I have is of David Waddell. Uh, David's not currently an elder, but he was for years. And and yes, I, I don't think he will know my telling this. But he talked about leaving one job as an attorney. And going to another job when his children were young. And it wasn't particularly, in fact, it wasn't a good career move as he described it. But he said, I needed, I wanted to have more time with my children. That's a pretty powerful statement. I am not trying to create guilt for anybody, okay? Different jobs require different things, different life circumstances. But I'm saying that is a powerful message to children from a parent that says, it is so important to me to have time with my children. That is more important to me than how well my girls will Okay, we'll talk more next week.